Ready or not, Christmas is here. That's right, the big day is less than 48 hours away. So I hope you've got all your shopping done, your wrapping done, your cooking done. If not, you better get jiggy with it because it is here. You know, it's interesting, and I was thinking about that this week. When you're a kid, it seems like Christmas takes forever to get here, right? I mean, you're waiting and waiting. It's like it's never going to come. But then you become adult, and somehow, magically, it just gets here way too fast. It, it sneaks up on you because, like, just yesterday, it was Thanksgiving, and now, boom, here it is. You know, when I think about waiting, I, I realize that it's not just part of the Christmas season, but waiting is a part of life. And we're going to talk this morning a little bit about waiting. But before we do that, I want to just take a moment and share a really cool Christmas story with you. It's a story that you were a part of. You may remember back in November, we partnered with several of the local schools in our community and we worked through a Stepping Stones ministry, one of our awesome partners here in the community, to provide Christmas gifts for marginalized children right here in our community. And the goal was to provide some needed things for them at Christmas, coats, hats, shoes, clothes, that kind of stuff, but also for each child to have at least one really fun toy, one kind of frivolous Christmas gift. And because of your generosity, 234 kids in our community are going to experience the joy of Jesus' birth. Yeah, that is awesome. So thank you for your generosity, but I would also say we need to make sure we thank Jesus, right? Because that's what it looks like when the kingdom of God is winning in our community. Hope, God's love, joy is brought to those who need it the most. So let's just do that. Let's just say thank you, Jesus. All right? On the count of three, all of our campuses, all of you watching online, count of three, thank you, Jesus. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. A little bit weak. Let's try it again. One, two, three. There you go. All right. Well, if you'll take out your message notes, you'll see we're going to continue our focus this Christmas on peace. Right? Christmas is the season of peace. And yet many of us struggle to find it on a consistent basis in our daily lives. Not just during the busy, stressful holiday season, but on a daily basis throughout the year and one of the things there are many of the things that keep us from experiencing peace but one of the things is waiting waiting on God now when I, I talk about waiting I'm, I'm not talking about you know a kid having to wait for Santa to finally come or the waiting you've done this week in traffic on Whiskey Road or the checkout line at Kroger or, you know, at Walmart. I'm not talking about that kind of waiting. I'm talking about a much tougher kind of waiting. 
those desperate times in your life where you're waiting on God to move and act. That deep pain that comes from waiting on God to break through in that situation, in that relationship, in that circumstance. That times when you are waiting and there is nothing you can do until God moves. Lewis Smedes, the, the great Christian writer, says that waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot bring about what we hope for, we wait in darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. And I'm pretty sure that many of us are right there. Desperately waiting on God to move, to act, to break through. And I can tell you in my own life, it is one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. Waiting is hard, especially for us as Christ followers. I remember when our kids were little, Terry and I had the opportunity to take our whole family to Disney World for a week and we had these special tickets that allowed us to go to all of the parks and any of the parks that we wanted to I think they called it a hopper and so we went to a different park each day for four days and I just have to tell you up front my least favorite park Epcot because it's not really like a park there are almost no rides it's like a giant science fair right and who wants to go to a science fair? But back in the day, they did have one ride. It was the only ride in Epcot back then. It was called Test Track. And it was pretty cool because you got to get in this car and they ran it through all these tests while you were riding in it. But you can imagine if it's the only ride in the park, just how long the line is, right? It was huge, but you're not going to ride it, right? Because it's the only thing to ride. So sure enough, we got in line 45 minutes in line before we even got inside the building. And then there was another 45-minute wait to get up to the area where you actually could get in the car. And while we were waiting in line inside the building, I noticed this building had a back door. And every now and then, people would come through that back door and cut right in line and get right in there with no waiting. I'm like, what is up with that? I'm getting more and more angry as I'm watching stupid cutters. I finally got up close enough where they had to walk past me while I'm waiting in line. So I stopped this dude and I said, dude, what's up? You're cutting in line. What's that all about? And he said, well, the test track ride is sponsored by General Motors Corporation. And we work for General Motors. And so one of the perks of working for General Motors is you don't have to wait in line for test track. Well, I didn't like it, but it is what it is. So I turned around and I was telling the kids why people were able to cut because they work for General Motors. And I'll never forget my daughter Emily, who was about eight or nine at the time, said, well, Daddy, you work for God, so why do we have to wait? <laughs> right? And as Christians, we think, you know, if God loves us, if God wants to carry out his plan, his purpose for our lives, why do we have to wait? What's really interesting is that the Bible says not only as Christ followers that we have to wait on God, but guess what else the Bible says? That waiting on God can actually bring 
peace in our lives. Check it out. Isaiah 40, verse 31. It says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. People who wait on the Lord shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I don't know about you, but that sounds like peace to me. But my question is, how do you get some of that peace? How can you have peace when you're desperately waiting on God to act? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to look at four things, four practical ways that you can experience peace in your waiting. But before we look at those, I really want you to make this personal. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you waiting for? Right now, in your life, what are you waiting on God to do? Some of you, maybe you're waiting on God to come through for that job or that promotion because it would take so much of the financial pressure off of your life. Some of you, maybe you're waiting on God to bring you a spouse, a husband or a wife, so that you're not so lonely all the time. Maybe for some of you, you're waiting for God to bless you with a a child, and you've spent money and time and effort, and, and it's just not happening. Or maybe for some of you, you're not waiting on God to bring your spouse. You're waiting on God to change that spouse you already have. Or you're, maybe you're waiting on that prodigal son or daughter to, to finally come to their senses and come home to the father. Or maybe you're waiting to hear from the doctor to see what the test results show or, or to see if the treatment has made any difference. I don't know what you're waiting on, but I do know you can have peace in your waiting. But you got to do four things. Number one, To have peace while you wait, you got to recognize that God is working. Recognize that God is working. Because see, while I'm waiting, God is working. In fact, you're not waiting on God to move and act. You're just waiting on God to reveal to you the moving and action that he's currently doing. Great example of this in the Old Testament guy by the name of David. You might have heard of him. When David was about 14 years old, God promised him that he would be the next king of Israel. That promise was unfulfilled for more than two decades. That means that David spent most of his 20s and 30s waiting on God to fulfill that promise. And he wasn't just waiting, keeping sheep and chilling out. He was waiting while running from, for his life from the current king. And yet in all of that time of waiting, and I'm sure he got discouraged, and I'm sure he thought God wasn't coming through. And yet, David wrote these words from Psalm 37, 7. David says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. I mean, how could David write that after all of that time waiting? Or at least, how could he write it and truly mean it? It's because he wrote these words years later. From the throne of the nation of Israel. He wrote these words because he looked back over that season of waiting in his life. And he could see in the rearview mirror of life where God had been working the whole time. 
God had been working in him, developing the character that he would need to be the leader that God needed him to be. He could see how God had worked in the circumstances, the political climate of the nation of Israel. He could see that while he was waiting, God was working. Look, I don't know what you're waiting on, but I can tell you time spent waiting on God is never wasted. In fact, I would say this, that what God is doing while you're waiting may be more important than what you're waiting on. Maybe that's what's going on in your waiting right now. Maybe God is using this season of of waiting to work on you. Maybe he's using it to build your character. Check out what the Bible says, Romans 5, 4. It says, patience produces character, and character produces hope. You see that? Hope is not built on getting what we want when we want it. Hope comes from character, and character comes from patience. And the only way you'll learn patience is by what? Waiting. That's why people say, don't pray for patience, right? It's the only way you can get it is being stuck in one place. I'm thinking maybe we should pray for a little more patience because it will develop character, and that character is where we find hope. Or maybe what God is working on while you're waiting is not you so much, but your circumstances. What's going on around you, right? I remember 20 years ago now, we moved our family to Aiken, and and we bought a brand new house that felt like it was made just for us. Perfect location, perfect setup, three bedrooms plus a bonus room two full baths. We love that house. We moved into it. That house was perfect for us, but as our kids got older, we discovered two bathrooms, not enough for seven people, and especially when the older ones became teenagers. That reality of the insufficiency of this house uh, hit home one Sunday when we got home from church, and one of our kids had a little accident standing in the hall waiting for a brother or sister to get out of the bathroom. We're like, okay, we got to do something. So we called our real estate agent, a great friend. She showed us a house that was just what we needed. Same setup, three bedrooms, bonus room, two and a half baths, which is code for an extra toilet. Three toilets, that's all we needed. So we put a contract on the house, but we had to make it contingent on selling our other house because we knew we couldn't afford two mortgages. So we went ahead and put a contract, and we just thought, our house is so great, it'll sell like that. Week goes by, nothing. Two weeks, three weeks, and do you know what happened? Some idiot bought that house right out from under us, right? They, they had already sold their house, and I'm like, really? I, I was so angry with God. I'm like, God, I'm not asking for a mansion, but is one more toilet too much to ask for, God? I mean, what are we doing here? A few weeks later, our real estate agent called us back. She said, I got a house I want to show y'all. She came by, picked us up. We went to a neighborhood we'd never been in before. Because apparently in this neighborhood, houses didn't go on the market. But she showed us a house. Five bedrooms, three full baths, and less expensive than the smaller house that we thought we had. 
law. See, we're we so impatient and we want God to give us what we want, but sometimes God says, wait and I'll give you more than you could ever dream of. Whatever you're waiting for, however long you've been waiting and however long you are going to have to wait, you can find peace when you stop and remember that God is working. Working in your circumstances and working in you. Number two, the second thing we have to do to have peace in our waiting is refuse to wait alone. Refuse to wait alone. You were not created to do life on your own. And that is especially true in the waiting moments of our life. See, our tendency when we're waiting is to isolate, to withdraw, right? To get on the couch with a blanket and a a gallon of chocolate ice cream and say, I'm just going to sit here and wait on God to move. I don't want to be anywhere, be around anybody in this waiting. That is the exact opposite of what we need. Look at Galatians 6.2. It says, carry each other's heavy loads. If you do, you will give the law of Christ its full meaning. Can I just tell you this? One of the heaviest loads you will ever carry in this life is the weight of waiting. You know, we were talking about David earlier. Guess what? Those 20 plus years, David didn't wait alone. He surrounded himself with a small group of men who could encourage him when he was discouraged, who could do what he couldn't do when he was exhausted, who could have hope when he had lost his hope. I can tell you I have personally experienced that in my own life. Six years ago, Terry and I spent nine of the longest days of our life waiting in a trauma center waiting room. Nine days waiting to see if our son would wake up from a coma. Those days are a blur. There's so much I don't remember about them, but one thing I will never forget about them are the faces of those who waited with us. I don't think there was hardly a moment over those nine days there, there wasn't at least somebody from our home group, somebody from our church, some close friend waiting. I don't remember what they said. I don't think they said anything. Words mean nothing at a time like that. But the presence of other believers gives you peace when you are waiting. And I've been reminded of that over these last three months of a deeper, more painful kind of waiting, of waiting for healing and hope and waiting for just some glimpse that the days ahead are going to be better. And we are getting through because we are not trying to get through on our own. We are waiting with others. Please understand, that's why the Bible over and over so emphatically says, you need each other 59 times. 59 times in the New Testament alone, we are told to lean in and to walk through life in authentic community with other believers. One of those is found in Hebrews 10.25. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 
These words were written to a group of people who were waiting on a miracle. Their lives, the persecution, the struggle in their lives was so strong. And the writer of Hebrews says, in this difficult waiting period, don't stop meeting with each other. So you understand, that's why physically attending your campus of Cedar Creek Church on Sunday, that's why it's so important. It's not so we can have big numbers and full auditoriums and pat ourselves on the back and say our church is better than this church down the road. It's because we need each other. Corporate worship is essential for encouragement and for the waiting times of life. Listen, I love live stream. It is a great technology. It is a great way to stay connected when you're traveling, when you're sick, when you're with somebody that's sick. But it is a poor substitute for authentic community. We need each other and you can't get that online and you can't get that through Facebook friends. We need each other. That's why being a part of a home group is essential. Because in a church this size, you can't know or be known or be cared for by others unless you connect with a few people and do life together. You're going to wait in this life, but you don't have to wait alone. You can find peace when you wait with others. And then number three. The third thing we have to do to find peace in our waiting is to remember to stay active. you got to stay active, which seems like a strange thing to say, right? Wait, stay active when you're waiting, because we think of waiting as passive. We think of waiting as not doing anything. And the reason we think that is because in the English language, the word wait means to cease all activity. To stop doing anything. But in the Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament, the word wait means to trust in God. And trust is a verb. It means being active. Look again at this great verse from Isaiah 40. It says, but, but those who what? Trust in the Lord will find new strength. That's a more accurate translation. You know, I read this week a great definition of waiting on God. It said basically it's three things. Waiting on God is one activity under command. What does that mean? That means waiting means do the thing that you know God has called you to do. See, some of us think we're waiting on God. God is waiting on us to be faithful with what we have, to take the steps we need to take. See, maybe God is waiting on you to finally realize that that relationship is unhealthy and you need to get out of it. Maybe God is waiting on you to think and look differently at your finances or, or to think about your family or your kids in a different way. That's activity under command, doing what you know God has called you to do. But then secondly, waiting on the Lord is also a constant readiness for a new command. Activity under command but a readiness for that next step, that next door that God may open for you to step through. And then thirdly, waiting on God is the ability to do nothing until he opens that door. It's the ability to wait and not run ahead of him. That means for some of us, 
Waiting means we need to stop dragging our feet. We need to pull the trigger, step through that door, take that step of faith. For some of us, waiting means it's time to stop spinning our wheels, trying to push through doors and get things for ourselves that God is not choosing to give to us. And you say, well, that's great, Philip, but how do I know? How do I know if I'm waiting on God to open that door or God is waiting on me? Great question. You'll find the answer in the rest of that verse. Look at the second part of verse 31. It says, when you're truly waiting on God, you will soar high on wings like eagles. When you're waiting properly on God, you will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Do you feel like you just can't keep going? Then maybe, maybe there's some area of your life where you're not trusting God. Where you're running ahead or lagging behind. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go camping in the border waters of Canada. The Canadian wilderness is a beautiful thing. And on this lake that we were camping on and fishing and hanging out, and there were two bald eagles that had nests near there. So every day we would see these eagles just soaring above the lakes. First time I'd ever seen them in person, you know, other than TV or National Geographic, you know, channel. And they are spectacular animals. But what amazed me was the way that they fly. They don't fly by flapping their wings and holding themselves up. They simply spread their wings and soar. They soar on these natural updrafts of warm air that are provided for them. And they can soar for hours without any effort at all. In fact, the only time that they give any effort to their flight is when they move from one updraft to another. Just a few beats of their wings. And I believe the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to write that word picture of soaring on wings like eagles when you're truly waiting on God so that we would understand that we don't need to keep running after everything trying to get it for ourselves. We just need to soar on the updraft that God has given you right now and be open to the next updraft that he wants you to move to. The truth is we fly like hummingbirds. Beating our wings a thousand times a minute. God, I got to go here. I got to get there. I got to do this. And God says, no, wait on me by spreading your wings and resting in the warm updraft of my love, my provision, my grace for you. And then finally, number four, the fourth thing we have to do to find peace in our waiting is I have to release my fears and receive God's hope. To exchange my fears for God's hope. Let me tell you something. Fear is always a part of waiting. Anybody who's ever waited knows the bitter taste of fear. The fear that comes when you're sitting in the waiting room of the doctor's office. That fear that rises up in your throat when you walk out to the mailbox and you wonder, is today the day I get a bill that I cannot pay? And I have no solution for. Parents, you, you know the bitter taste of fear from lying in bed awake late every night staring at the ceiling and wondering, is that son or daughter okay? Where are they? What are they doing? Will they make it home safe? 
that fear is so overwhelming. But God's word says that he offers his hope in exchange for our fear. How does that happen? How do you trade in your fears for God's hope? Great question, and the answer will probably surprise you. Look at Romans 15:4. It says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. And then check this out. The scriptures give us patience and encouragement so that we can have hope. Did you see that? God's hope is found in God's word. So how do stories about people who lived thousands of years ago in a very different culture and world that seems so distant from us, how do these ancient stories give us hope? Because the Bible is full of story after story of God's faithfulness. Joseph waited 13 years in an Egyptian prison. And he found God faithful. Abraham waited 25 years for a promised son. And he found God faithful. The nation of Israel waited 400 years in brutal captivity. But they found God faithful. The world itself waited thousands of years for a Messiah, a Savior, for a rescue from the bondage and brokenness of our sin. And on that first Christmas morning, God again demonstrated himself to be faithful. But it's not just ancient stories of ancient people. God has proven his faithfulness to people every day. In fact, you are sitting around people who have personally experienced God's faithfulness in their life. In fact, let me just show you, if you're here today and you have found God faithful at some point in your life, would you just raise your hand, hold them up, look around. These aren't plants. These people haven't been brainwashed by religion. These are people who have a personal testimony of long, difficult, painful seasons of waiting. And yet they would say, God is faithful. Some of you walked in here today on the verge of giving up. Some of you are are on the verge of giving up on God. Some of you are on the verge of giving up on yourself. Maybe, maybe some of you are here today and you're on the verge of giving up on life itself. And if that's you today, you're not here by accident. I know it feels like you can't wait another day. You can't wait another minute. And you're right. You cannot wait on your own. But the good news is you don't have to wait on your own. Look at Colossians 1.11. It says, God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come. But you will be patient. God will give you the strength to wait on him. A few years back, I saw a documentary on trapeze artists, you know, the flying young men of the circus. One of the things they said in that documentary is that the best, longest lasting trapeze teams were almost always families. And they said the reason for that is because the level 
of trust required. Because, see, on a trapeze team, there are two kinds of people. There are flyers and there are catchers. And the flyer's job is to fly through the air, and the catcher's job is to make sure they catch and don't fall to the ground. But there is a point at which the flyer must turn loose of the bar and for a few moments cannot see the catcher. Cannot see if the catcher is swinging on time, if they're going to be there. And in that moment of waiting, the most important thing for the flyer to do is remain perfectly still and trust that the catcher will be there. The worst thing you can do is try to look or squirm or try to help the catcher catch you. Anytime that happens, disaster happens. And that is a picture of our lives. When we try to help God, when we give up at the last moment, when we try to fix it for ourselves, disaster comes. Maybe you're there today. And everything in you is wanting to take it back into your hands and try to fix or solve that situation or to heal that hurt on your own or to fix that problem. I think God would say to you, trust me, I've never dropped anyone. I am faithful. Or maybe some of you are here and you say, man, Philip, I wish I'd have heard this sermon 15 years ago. Because I couldn't see the catcher and I took matters into my own hand and I crashed and burned and destroyed my life and destroyed a marriage or my kids or people around me and I wish I could change it but God could never restore my life now. I've messed it up too badly. And if that's you, you don't understand God's love and God's grace. There's nothing in your past, nowhere you've been, nothing you've done, no failure, no mistake that is not caught in the net of his loving arms and his deep, amazing grace. You're waiting on God, but can I tell you, God is waiting on you this morning. Let me close, Isaiah 30, last verse. It says, the Lord is waiting, and you know what he's waiting? To be kind to you. In fact, he rises, he gets up to have compassion on you. Blessed, blessed are all those who wait for him. Would you pray with me? Father, we are all waiting on something. We think we're waiting on you to move, but the truth is you're already moving in ways that we can't see. And so, Father, this Christmas season, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle and presence and tinsel and busyness and activity, would you draw us to the manger? Draw us to the deep truth of the story of your birth and see in that manger not just a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, but the incarnation of you, the God of the universe, stepping out of heaven and into our world and proving forever that you are faithful. That in Jesus we see the faithfulness of you no matter what loss, no matter what brokenness, no matter what emptiness, no matter what is not working out in our lives and our circumstances. We can trust in your faithfulness. But we cannot do that on our own. 
So God, forgive us of our wing flapping and our effort to try to generate what you lovingly want to just hand to us. Calm our hearts, our spirits, and our minds to rest in the warm updraft of your love and your grace and your provision. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.